0: the Guy Jeans Podcast. What an honor to have this next guest of mine on the podcast, Mr. Brian O'Keefe. You know, a lot of people know Brian from his photography from all over the world. You know, his photographs are in so many magazines. Field and Stream Magazine, USA Today, The Drake Magazine, Outside Magazine, American Angler Magazine, Orvis, Patagonia, Fly Fisherman Magazine. And the list goes on and on and he's known for his beautiful photographs and so I'm gonna be talking to him about that for sure but also gonna be talking to him about all his travels he's probably one of the most well-traveled fly anglers in the world he's been all over from Argentina New Zealand Tonga England Mexico Belize Sierra Leone Christmas Island Bahamas Alaska wherever he's been there and he's fished for whatever species are there and so it's a great honor to have him on the show can't wait to talk to him so without further ado here's mr brian o'keefe hey you guys welcome to the podcast this is guy jeans and uh you guys hear this stuff in the background we are live from the bart hall show and long beach convention center and my guest today is brian o'keefe how you doing brian
1: i'm doing really well love it down here it's nice and sunny
0: (laughs) so what are you doing down here are you showing stuff are you promoting stuff what's going on
1: yeah i work for a company called 11 angling and they own uh fly fishing lodges and heli ski lodges around the world and so we go around make the show circuit and uh it's a fairly new brand so we're getting the name out and it's also good to be in shows like this because guides will come by and say hey you got a cool gig need any guides and you know when you have 10 lodges you sure do yeah and then our vendors are at shows like this too like oh yeti and various rod and reel companies and fly lines so it's good to always you know see the guys you're buying stuff from and talking about how you use it what you might need later
0: Where are you guys going in these at these? Is it Eleven Lodges? Is that what it is?
1: Yeah, the name is Eleven. The company is Eleven Experience and they're out of Crested Butte, Colorado. And it started off just as a snowcat operation and then got into some lodging. And then the owner and his wife really went for it and uh, started building and buying lodges for fishing and skiing. So our, our, our most popular lodges are the three in Chile. We have uh, Cedar Lodge in New Zealand, Deplar Farm Lodge in Iceland, and Taylor River Lodge in Colorado. But there's stuff happening in the Bahamas, Alaska, British Columbia, more in New Zealand. Um, it's a really fun, growing company, and you know I'm the old guy there. Everybody's about 28 years old. Goes and, by quick,
0: doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and
1: so, you know, I just bring a little bit of experience from you know just doing this stuff forever. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm learning new things, you know, with, uh, you know, kind of a cool techie company. And so it keeps me on my toes and I get to travel a lot. Last week I was in New Zealand. So, you know, for an older guy, I'm still kind of living the dream.
0: Yeah, you are. You're probably the, the most well-traveled person that I've ever met, man. <laughs> and that's for sure. I mean, there's one other guy that I know pretty good. His name's John Sherman and I've done um, a trip with him to Mexico. And uh, you guys are pretty comfortable out there, man. Uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> the guys that travel a lot seem to be really comfortable. And uh, like, I'm, I'm going to tell you a story real okay. quick. So um, we went to this lake called Lake Bacarac in um, Mexico. It's a giant bass, right? Yeah. But you fly into this place called uh, Sinaloa, oh, Mexico, yeah. man. You been there? Yeah. So, so um, you know, I'm already nervous going into Mexico. I've been to Mexico. I have a band um, that has played all over the place and we went to uh, San Felipe and would play, right? So I, I was semi-comfortable going there, but um, you know, Sinaloa is kind of like cartel country, right? Mm-hmm. So I was a little nervous going there, but um, the fishing is supposed to be really good at this, this lake, trophy bass and stuff. So I was super excited and stuff. And uh, so anyway, we land in uh, Sinaloa and, uh, I'm getting off the plane, you know, and you go through the, z- the line, the zigzag line, and there's this there's this uh, military dude with an AK-47, and he's just staring at me, you know, holding his gun, yeah. and he's just staring at me, going through the line, zigzagging through the line, and I'm just going, why is this guy staring at me, man? And so I get to the front of the line, and he immediately points at me and says, come over here, put your bag over here, you know, and they... Them, and a couple of them came out and they searched that thing head to toe. And I was like, and they're talking to me in Spanish. Of course, I don't know Spanish that great. You know, and I'm just saying fishing, <laughs> fishing, yeah. you know, but that was my introduction to that. You know, is that, uh, you experience that stuff sometimes when you travel?
1: No, Oh yeah. I, mean, yeah? I know John Sherman real well. And, <laughs> uh, he's seen it all too, you know, <laughs> get your camera case taken yeah. and things like that. So, I think if you've traveled a lot, and I really started in high school, um, I joined my brother in Europe. I just took off, I didn't tell my teachers or anything. and I joined him in Italy. He was riding a motorcycle through Europe and Northern Africa. So I thought, well, I'll just go hang out with him. So even at about age 17, you know, I started having some pretty weird adventures like in those big tinted bazaars that you know, in Istanbul. I yeah. just went to walk around, but I started getting followed. And I sped up and these two guys kept following me and I started to do the Indiana Jones of running and, and <laughs> just bashing through the no way. canvas, you know, to get away from these guys. And, and then when I told that story to someone who was, you know, available to talk to me and not chase me. Um, he said, "Yeah, you know, you have dark hair and you, you've, you're tan now, so you, you look a little bit Turkish. Oh. And so they want your passport, and they will offer you $500 or so to, like a student, will take 500 bucks and then go get a new passport. Except they'll get your money and then kill you. And so
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I, I learned early to be a little bit suspicious and careful, but still things just happen and flying." and the airports aren't the same, there's a lot of cancellations and that creates a domino effect to your connections and mm-hmm. you just have to stay loose, go with the flow and know a little bit about what your rights are too as a traveler and how you can be either be compensated or work the system to get other flights. But yeah, I could yeah. go on for days about little yeah. and big problems in Pakistan, India, all over the world, you know.
0: Yeah. So let's go, let's start at the beginning when you were, I was uh, listening to a story of uh, when you were 16, I think, and you're you're telling your family about your fishing trips and they don't believe you. And so you got a, a little camera and, um, you know, started taking pictures and then brought the, got the film developed and then they go, oh wow, he is telling the truth. Um, so did you start fly fishing then or would you start fly fishing later on?
1: Yeah, I started real early um, and that, story you just told i think i was actually about in the fourth grade oh, when, okay when my brother and mother thought i had a problem with the truth because i would <laughs> ride my bike to a lake catch these big bass uh-huh. and i i occasionally brought one home but uh-huh. i mostly let them all go because i was on my bike and uh and that's when they got me that little Kodak instamatic camera to verify my catch and then once <laughs> they saw all these bass they realized that maybe i wasn't such a fibber mm-hmm. and, uh, <laughs> that's cool yeah, yeah, I started fly fishing very early, and everybody knows the book, a river runs through it the movie, and my brother and I had such a similar uh, life as young kids that mm-hmm. it, it matched that book exactly, except it was my grandfather who was the strict dry fly purist okay, bamboo rods, silk lines. Oh, and wow. so my brother and I started in the front yard doing the 10 o'clock, 2 o'clock. Uh-huh. And he wouldn't take us fishing until we could actually cast. And that took several summers. And that, it was hard to be in Missoula, Montana and not go fishing. But then the, about the third year.
0: Is that where you were?
1: Yeah, my grandfather was from Missoula. I lived in the Seattle area oh, okay. the, as a kid. Uh-huh. And then um... so. Like the third summer, he had a big, long cane pole, like those 10-foot cane poles with just monofilament to a hook, and we had to go out and catch grasshoppers. And then we dabbed around rocks and riffles to learn where trout lived. So mm-hmm. that was his master plan. he got to learn how to cast, got to learn to read the water. And then about the fourth summer, we actually could use a Joe's hopper mm-hmm. and go out and catch, you know, really nice little fish on the Blackfoot. And that was about 1960. Seven or something like that, Mm -hmm. you know, and so nobody on the water, and and my grandfather was a lifelong fly angler. He learned early, and he learned on the chalk streams of England, Mm -hmm. and um, and so he was a forest supervisor and lived in just great places. Forest service work, so you know, uh, he was the forest supervisor for Shasta National Forest. So he was in all those. The rivers like the McLeod and places you fish, yeah. you know, that, that are what must have been amazing back in the 40s and stuff. Yeah. And then he became the uh, forest supervisor for the um, Bitterroot Lolo National Forest out of Missoula. So he had all that Great Water, Blackfoot, Rock Creek, mm-hmm. Bitterroot, Clark Fork, and on and on. And so when my brother and I came along, you know, it was his job, he thought, to Make us right. And uh, so we fly fished dry flies only and uh, We didn't we didn't there really wasn't much nymph fishing then anyway, but there yeah. was a few streamers were mm-hmm. primitive but after I got my fishing license or, or my driver's license and I started to wander around Montana on my own I discovered you know, flies uh, like uh, well kind of deer head uh, Kind of marabou muddlers. basically. Yeah. that was uh-huh. kind of a early And then I I just learned, because I drove to the Madison River once on my own, probably about 16. And they were spin fishing a lot with live sculpins. You could buy a container of live (laughs) sculpins. And every cast was a big brown. Uh And I mean, really nice fish. And so I I kind of blew my mind, because I'm fishing Mm -hmm. royal wolves and stuff. (laughs) But I found that uh, marabou muddler in olive and started to fish it and that's when I really started to catch some big fish and uh, as much as I am still today a pretty hardcore dry fly fisherman well I will nymph and I will yeah. fish streamers and fish everything basically but it was cool to have a background that was so solid uh, on tradition and on uh, you know casting effectively
0: yeah. and then
1: move through the progression to be a all round fisherman and, and uh, so I'm pretty lucky in that regard it was just intense as a kid to be work you know your grandfather's a drill sergeant bang, <laughs> you know banging this technique 10 o'clock uh-huh. two o'clock you know into your head but we we did it we liked it yeah. And i never stopped
0: you know what a blessing to have a grandpa like that huh and just yeah. it turned it into your your passion man
1: yeah and, and it was so also gotta cool. you know, give credit to my grandmother too uh they were both born in the 1800s which sounds like you know cowboys and indians and stuff but they they actually rode on stagecoaches and stuff so Uh so uh they lived in the boonies most of their lives and 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 fire lookouts and places like that but my grandmother had a a college degree which was sort of rare uh in those days for a a woman in science and she was a biologist so Hmm. Uh, my grandfather who was into forestry and wildlife management some fisheries but not much back then and then my grandmother was plants and uh, animals so she got me into birding and to just knowing animals reptiles anything you know and mm-hmm. and she uh, just was a blast so it was a great combination of people that basically made me who i am
0: do you do you have to fish? Like, is that just like something that, you know, since you were a kid, is that just something that you have to do? Yeah. Yeah, isn't that weird? Uh-huh. Why is that? I, I don't I'm know. I'm the same way. <laughs> yeah, I. Isn't it weird?
1: Yeah, you know, I, uh, 11 sent me to New Zealand to work at our cedar lodge there on the South uh-huh. Island. Fishing was amazing, it's just incredible. I came home and I couldn't wait because I live 20 minutes from the Henry's Fork and 10 minutes from the South Fork of the Snake. And it's been so
0: uh,
1: cold and snowy this winter that I haven't done a lot of the midge fishing and, and, and things like that. But there yeah. was a day before I came here. The day before I came here, it was going to be 40. And So I had some new bootfoot waders. I wanted to ch- check out, and uh, you know, even though I just fished 10 days in New Zealand, I, I had to get out. You know, yeah. I mean, I didn't want to miss a 40 degree day. Midges, midges were thick. Midge mm-hmm. clusters. Fish were up. And uh, guy, if you have it bad, you know, there's not much you can do about it. And it's, yeah. it's a fact of life and I don't apologize yeah. for it because what, what's better than being out on the water?
0: Yeah, right? My mom and, and some, sometimes my lady, she they both are just like, you're going fishing again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, oh my God, you yeah. know, so funny. So how long have you been doing this now? Like just, uh, you know, the photography, which I want to talk to you about mm-hmm. and everything. How long have you been doing now?
1: Um, well, I'm 68. It's hard to believe. But Man,
0: you do not look it. You know why? Because you are fish all the time. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a good
1: lifestyle. Um, but, you know, I'll give you like the rough draft progression. So, yeah. so I was this kid fly fisherman. But I also bought, you know, spinning rods and stuff for bass fishing and things like that. And, yeah. and some salmon and steelhead fishing. I was also lucky, my older brother, John, he, uh, while I was probably a junior in high school, he was the tribal dentist for the Queets, Ho, and Quinault Indians on the Olympic Peninsula in Washington. So in the late 60s, early 70s, man, oh man, there was some amazing salmon and steelhead fishing out there. So I'd just throw my sleeping bag down in this little clinic, sleep out there, and then just fish those rivers like a maniac, and uh, you know, I guess i Get, got to saw it you know in the good old days but yeah um, so I just fished my brains out as a kid even in high school I'd fish on my lunch hour for bass mm-hmm. and uh, there was the I think juniors were taught a class everybody had a table called bachelor survival it was, it was called home ec for for girls and so you learn how to bake and you know just household things and and I would catch a bass on my lunch hour, and then bring it back to that class to cook it. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, consequently, no, I didn't have a girlfriend. I always smelled like fish. But uh, you know, went from there to uh, going to New Zealand when I was nineteen, just to just check it out and follow my grandparents' footsteps, who went to New Zealand to fly fish in 1951. So I redid their trip and then stayed another six or seven months.
0: Wow.
1: And uh, And then I got a job. I came home after a long trip through Asia and stuff. And then I got a job in Alaska with the Forest Service. And uh, again, kind of following family footsteps, grandparents. What were you doing for the Forest Service? Uh, I was on a helicopter crew that we did some wildlife work. Uh Um, We did a little bit of firework and we did some trail work. It was just great young person work, Uh, Mm -hmm. $4 an hour. Mm and. a bag of food costs, you know, 55, 60 bucks.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: it wasn't for the money. But as an example, <laughs> Guy, uh, this is one of our my favorite jobs. We got a call from the head office in Anchorage. We were out on Kenai Lake and we had a Hughes 500 helicopter, which is an amazing helicopter in its day. It was uh, 150 miles an hour and uh, jet fuel turbine engine, just, uh, it was a sports car of a helicopter. Our call was to go to this creek that eventually flowed into the Kenai, and it was there was a huge beaver dam on it, and it and there was a thousand salmon blocked from going up to where they spawned. So they said we had to go up there and put a hole in the dam so the salmon could get through. So it was a four-person job: one person guarding uh, for bears, mm-hmm. and
0: <laughs>
1: two guys working on the dam, and me fishing because. <laughs> Food was so expensive that some fresh sockeye was really nice. Mm-hmm. But we did projects like that. We did worked with migratory animals like caribou. We did uh, we would take uh, census or inventory of doll sheep populations in the mountains. So God what a great job. You yeah, just man. flying around. And, yeah, and there was always a fly rod. My old Fenwick fly rod, uh, fiberglass with a Pfluger medalist yep. in, in the back seat. So it went everywhere <laughs> we went.
0: Uh-huh, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, did you have a camera too at that time or you yeah yeah i bet yeah mm-hmm.
1: at, at that time i'd, I'd switched to slides i was shooting print film mm-hmm. uh, just because that's what people did and if you th- if you were actually halfway serious about photography you shot slides and then so i switched to slides in 73 or 74 in new zealand because so why not everything you look at unbelievably beautiful yeah and um yeah, so I went from there to Alaska, went to Oregon State University for a bit, I went to uh, Central Oregon College, and, you know, I never knew what I wanted to do, Yeah. and I was so, I'm so happy that I didn't get a job in a tall building or something, you know, sure. I just, I just kind of...
0: We can't do that. No, it's yeah, impossible. The, no, no, no way. <laughs> but, uh,
1: <laughs> so I had a part-time job. Um, in college at a sporting goods store that had a little fly shop in it, so uh-huh. I kind of ran the fly shop and I got to know several of the reps, the scientific angler reps and um, Cortland was big there and and a few broad guys and, and fly companies and I also started to know Dennis Black who started Umpqua Feather Merchants down, oh. down in Glide, Oregon on the Umpqua River. and so. Yeah. Eventually, after some guiding on the Deschutes and the Klamath in Northern California for Steelhead, that was right when the fly shop opened their first couple of years, I was their Steelhead guide. And then... Uh, the one in Redding? Yeah. Oh, okay. And then uh, guided in Alaska and then bumped into Dennis Black again up there. And then when I... I sort of made a promise to myself I'd quit guiding it on my 30th birthday and then do something maybe a little yeah. more structured or... Traditional, so <laughs> I, I called Dennis when I got home. He said, "Man, I need a rep." I, I kind of knew what a rep was because I'd worked in that sporting goods store. Uh-huh. And so, in a couple of days, I was the Umqua. Back then, it was Umqua Feather Merchants, and uh, now it's just Umqua. But and then he got me um, the Orvis rep job, which in the Pacific Northwest and Alaska, they had never had a rep, and mm-hmm. it was a tough sell. You can imagine because it was oh. an sort of eastern company. The, yeah, the rods were a little slower than loomis and sage and and so uh i really
0: had to you know, work it i did work it, <laughs> and, and then
1: you know i just had so much fun i did that rep thing for 20 some years and oh really constantly traveled i'd either work a day fish a day or work 20 days and take 10 off and i was going to christmas island in belize just uh-huh. monthly you know it was just uh-huh. a great system and uh yeah, you know, Patagonia, Sim, Scientific Angler, Scott Rods. I just worked with the coolest people. I thought you
0: were a rep for all those companies. Yeah, eventually cool. almost yeah. everybody. I never yeah.
1: uh, cracked into the, the Sage um, kind of. They had their own reps, and they were always my competition. And uh, But, you know, yeah. good competition. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so I've been fishing my whole life, and, you know, I did take pictures early. I had my first photo published when I was 16, a little black and white shot. And then that just grew and grew. And next thing, you know, I, you know, you get better, you know, Mm -hmm. everything we do, we get better at if you keep doing it. So now it's sort of easy for me. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it all done it all, but, um, I still think that photography is a great companion activity to fly fishing. If it's not overdone, Mm -hmm. meaning with, Instagram and Facebook and all this stuff that I mean, people are taking a picture of every fish they catch, and that's right. overkill. And
0: yeah, you know, I mean, a, a real amazing
1: fish or you know, amazing setting. We, we, yeah. We're we fortunate to be outside a lot. There's great weather scenarios and lighting scenarios, and just our day in the life type, you know, look at fly fishing. Uh, there's tons of opportunities, but I do. Sort of get a little sick of just fish pictures, sure, and sure, and the way people hold fish and yeah. things like that it's kind of rough but yeah. uh, oh, we, we always have everybody has some little you know sure thing
0: so let's talk about your photography for a minute because you've you've uh your your pictures have been published in many magazines, journals, and blogs and and you have made a living doing that um, so as you're I want to kind of get into the your brain as a a photographer so when you're walking what what do you look for like when you're walking along the stream or where you're when you're cruising along a mountain trail or whatever is it is it something that just hits you and you're like oh man that looks awesome i'm just going to take a shot of that or is there something you actually go out and you're looking for or how does that all work
1: well it's kind of all that rolled into one and it depends on really what the purpose is if i'm just fishing by myself i'm yeah I, i like actually I like trout food so I look for bugs and <laughs> yeah. I think you know stonefly nymphs and yeah. stuff like that are just super cool
0: yeah.
1: and and uh, yeah if I'm by myself it's more uh, to sort of the day in the life type stuff of, mm-hmm. of a trout bum you know and it could be on a bonefish flat or somewhere but just yeah. the things that make it cool
0: yeah. and it
1: would be that would be more landscape um, and or waterscape and I do some underwater stuff, so it's always fun to mm-hmm. you know do a couple shots like that and you know, I don't really have a formula or a set plan unless I'm on an assignment you know if I'm working for a magazine or a website and I know they need you know the transportation and the resources meaning you know boats and helicopters or float planes or whatever all their yeah. stuff that makes trips happen and lodging food staff uh, yeah. and then and the fishing so. Uh, you know, and in places like Chile and New Zealand, I generally show a lot of big shots of mountains, water, mm-hmm. and the anglers in the picture. But maybe just tiny or a small boat in a corner, and then all this magnificent scenery everywhere. So, is that
0: uh, real quick? Is that the pictures of New Zealand? Um, did you, you just recently went there? Are those the ones? Did you take those pictures? Uh, the, the ones in New Zealand? Those are pretty awesome, man.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so, Gorgeous looking water. Well, you know, it's so pretty. It's oh hard. Oh, my God. You can take good pictures in New Zealand blindfolded. So,
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And, and, you know, when you have nice sunny weather, that place just pops. And yeah. you throw in some 24-inch rainbows and browns. Yeah. And some underwater shots. And, and, then, and then it's not that hard. But it's yeah. actually a little stressful to, and you said make a living. I never really made a living oh. in photography. It was a ha- hobby out of control. <laughs> and, and I never had a I've never had a business card that said anything about photography but you know I was known by most of the magazines and various yeah. publishers and things so uh-huh. I just uh wait for the call and if they need something I might have it and I'd send stuff in and that's okay. how it's worked and okay and uh, it's also opened a lot of doors sure uh, and and you know I did catch magazine for a while that online fly fishing magazine and it's it was about fly fishing video and photography so after about, you know, third or fourth issue was out, lots of people came to us asking, "Hey, you know, I'd like to advertise in your magazine or be in your magazine," and and uh, so those came in from Alaska to Brazil and tourism in Fiji, et cetera, et cetera. And so we were turning down basically free trips, even though it's time away and mm-hmm. and travel. But I would rather. Uh, be away and, yeah, yeah. and had travel so yeah, yeah. Um, so that the photography opened a lot of doors and I don't know I think I've been out of the country fishing well over 125 times yeah and uh, ran through quite a few passports but it was <laughs> yeah. just basically and Guy you've kind of I don't know your life story real well but I know a little bit about you and you've obviously had music in your life and fishing yeah. and, and probably a lot of other cool things and and uh, I've I've just been available for opportunity. You know, I haven't got real tied down, and I kept it real loose. Even even a rep job back in the day, there was no emails, there was no cell phones. Yeah. And you you everybody had a landline, and you had a phone machine at home, and it had a tape in there, and you'd record your message <laughs> like, Hey, I'm on the road. Uh, uh, when I get home, I'll check my messages. You know, that sort of thing. And and I was in far flung places fishing when mm-hmm. I was on the road. You know, on the yeah. road is a vague term. And, mm-hmm. um, but once, uh, and, and you know, so that, that way I was, if I got an invitation to fish somewhere, I could just go, I, I've, yeah. I, I've, I tried the marriage thing and never did kids. But, uh, yeah. for most of my life, um, uh, actually a neighbor of mine summed it up pretty well. He would introduce me to friends and he'd say, yeah, this is Brian O'Keefe. No wife, no kids, no pets, no house plans. And, uh, but Classic. I, but I had a garage that was funny. as good as most fly shops, and, <laughs> you know, cause when you're rep, you have all these samples and so I had mm-hmm. everything oh, yeah. that, that you have in your store. <laughs> and it's funny because, uh, Jim Klug of Yellow Dog, uh-huh. uh, he lived nearby and he would come in and he'd just wander around my garage, his eyes big and get whatever he and look at all this cool <laughs> stuff and, and, uh, so I was available for opportunity all my life still am, you know, and mm-hmm. I did catch a magazine with, with Todd Mone, and We're still best friends and work together on stuff. Um, but when this opportunity with 11 came up, you know, I, I mean, how can you be getting paid to fish? Right. There's one thing to trade out photos for a trip. That's pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. But to fish great places, Iceland, Chile, New Zealand, Colorado. Now we're going into Alaska and the Bahamas and,
0: mm-hmm. um, do you have to go test all these places with them and see
1: absolutely <laughs> absolutely that's a big deal you know and and, and and our world is very you know visual now with, mm-hmm. with the internet and websites and blogs so uh we we have to get in there and get tons of photography and video done and then launch yeah a new lodge and you got to be ready for that it takes as you know if you do social media it social media, it chews up photos every day. And so yeah. it's almost a, a nonstop job just to feed that animal. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, I love going to new spots and, uh,
0: what's your favorite, what's your favorite photo or what's your most popular photo that you, that you, uh, you have, did you, is there any? Yeah, there's one. I yeah. think it's
1: kind of, I don't know if it's iconic. That's the big word. Uh, could but be it's, <laughs> it's an underwater permit shot from turn, uh. of, turn of flats in belize and it's just this beautiful blue water a tail grab on a permit being uh, released and, yeah. and, and it's at eyeball level so it's really just anatomically perfect fish and and that in the day you know, that was shot on film but that in the day was one of the better underwater saltwater shots around and and it made the rounds, too. It was used quite a bit. But I think that's the one that sort of stands out. I also have a shot of four young Bahamian kids holding a four-and-a-half, five-foot Barracuda.
0: Awesome. And, <laughs> and it's
1: just super cool. That is. And, and that was 30-some years ago. And I, yeah. I made a big enlargement of that uh, for the guide that I fished with down there in Great Inagua. And he had it framed, and it, he put it in the airport, which is just a little tiny. No way. Thing. So we put it up on the wall there, uh-huh. and now those kids are 35, 40 years old, Yeah, and, and if the picture's still there, I think that's kind of cool. They that's can walk way in cool. And go, that's me, you know?
0: So you were using film, so you couldn't see what you had taken until you had developed the pictures, right? Yeah, it was... Uh, was that just the coolest thing ever, when you developed that, and you're like, oh my God.
1: Well, yeah, until you throw yeah. away roll after roll. <laughs> and, and so if you're you know trying to do your best, you buy the best film, and... You know, sent it to my lab that I used was in San Francisco, so I'd mail it off to San Francisco and that would take weeks, you know, to ship it off, have it processed and then get, get it back. Yeah. Now, now, if you've only f- taken photos in digital form, it's almost hard to relate like that just sounds so prehistoric, you know, how could it be any less effective, but there was no other choice. Yeah. And then you had to travel with film, and then when x-rays came out, you you had to have a lead-lined bag for your film and not have it x-rayed, and it was just a hassle, but no one knew any better. That's just all all it was. And uh, so, yeah, there was a lot of drama when that box came in, and you'd get slides on your light table, and a lot of slides just get thrown away. I mean, you can imagine how much you delete now automatically off your camera or phone. It's so every picture was almost fifty cents uh, okay. for film developing, shipping, et cetera. Uh-huh. And you know when you start clicking fifty cents, fifty cents, fifty
0: cents. Oh yeah.
1: It it really adds up and, and, and my underwater camera was manual focus, so you would just guess, like what you're taking a picture of is three feet away or eighteen inches away and you'd spin this little knob and then stick your camera in the water and shoot and there were times when I didn't save one picture from a roll of film many times and um it's expensive, but it also forces you to be as good as you can. So mm-hmm. you can be a little bit more uh, productive and effective, but all good stuff. And I probably held on to film too long. I should have switched to digital a little earlier, but yeah. I was sort of a traditional guy and I liked it. I liked it because it was kind of hard, mm-hmm. but uh, once I embraced digital, holy cow. And that stuff it's is whole, cool.
0: Yeah. The, uh, the travels that you've done, is there any animal stories that are, have been pretty wild for you, like encounters or anything like that you can talk about?
1: Well, you know, um, guiding in Alaska, you deal with bears every day, Yeah. and sometimes...
0: You're carrying a carrying a shotgun or a gun or something. Uh, yeah, at times, time. but other
1: places it was illegal to have a gun, you know, in Katmai National Park, so okay. lots of bears, no guns, and common sense is probably the best deterrent, right. you know, so. Um, not, not pushing it, but you're, you know, if you're out there every day for several years, you're going to be charged. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I walked up on, I was by myself. I was just fishing, a, a river near Iliamna and, uh, I walked up a grassy trail cause there are bear trails on every river yeah. and I came right onto a big sleeping bear, three feet away. And then it, it's head came up and I'm starting to walk back slow and quiet it stands up, it's looking around, it still doesn't see me, then it smells me, it's nose goes way up in the air, turns around, stands on its back legs, six feet tall, snarling, the saliva flying, just like you see in the movies. (laughs) And I thought, this is it, I'm a dead man. You know, I I didn't make eye contact, I just walked slowly backwards, and and then it sort of realized what was going on, and it actually was afraid of me, and dropped down on all fours and ran off, but it was that four or five seconds there of me freaking out and it checking me out and mm-hmm. then we both kind of went opposite directions which was great but uh, yeah lots of encounters with bears and how they chew mm-hmm. stuff up. Um, I was in a pretty wilderness lodge in Alaska and uh, out my window I saw this big bear come through camp and we were just in these really thin plywood walled cabins that they could have just ripped into but um, it ate our 12-volt battery that we used for our radio, and it wow. just took chunks off of a 12-volt battery with the battery acid running out of its mouth. It didn't even phase it, wow. and then it went to a, actually this was my fault, I did put all of our shipping stuff away. We had a little shipment come in of supplies, and a couple boxes were just out by my cabin. I thought they were fine because they didn't have any food in them or anything, but mm-hmm. there was a box of those huge tall cans of deep woods off. You know, if it's not 100% deet, it's almost all deet. <laughs> and, and a bear got in that box and was crushing those cans in its mouth. It would explode. All over his... Deet all over <laughs> his face, and he would just keep biting those cans, thinking, well, one of these is probably full of... Yeah. M&M's or something, you know, <laughs> so... Oh, my God. Uh, it's just a... And it would rub its back on my cabin, you know, how they rub their backs yeah. on trees, and then my whole cabin would shake, and <laughs> so, I, I mean, there's been a thousand of those, in yeah. fishing in Brazil, where I swam across this river to get to this big sandbar, and the first <laughs> cast I made was a really big piranha, and I thought, oh, <laughs> great, so... That's funny. Lots. Of what about
0: uh, what about uh, Crocs or anything like that? You ever run into any of those and some of those? Yeah. Uh, tropical areas. Yeah, you've to?
1: you see them. I've never had that ultra scary yeah. encounter, especially with a crocodile, or caiman, or alligator. Mm-hmm. Um, seen a thousand of them yeah. bas- basking in the sun or just swimming around, but I have waded uh, flats in the Yucatan and spooked a big. Cayman, which is, you know, nine feet long or so, and and it's, I'm in the water, I have no boat nearby, and it, it fortunately spooked and went away, but it could have been a lot worse.
0: Wow. So, all the fish that you've caught, you know, around the world, what's the, what's the most difficult fish that you've had to catch, or have tried to catch?
1: Well, most people would say permit, and that's true. I think they're fairly difficult to catch, because they're moody, and they have that great big eye probably great sense of smell and so Mm -hmm. the technique is ultra important good casting is ultra important um but i think the day that i had with the most tricky fish was actually brown trout resident brown trout in iceland and they you know there aren't as many bugs it's almost on the arctic circle so they Uh don't they don't have as much uh, stoneflies or caddis and mayflies but they have a lot of midge uh. And these fish were eating about a size 20 midge, and they're nice browns. They're, you know, for 6X, 7X fishing, they were 18, 19, 20 inches, <laughs> but they were so smart. And I love that kind of fishing. I just mm-hmm. love light tippet downstream presentation, dry fly fishing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, these fish were super hard. They were harder than Henry's Fork fish. They were harder than Silver Creek fish. And you know, you'd get one, but it took six or seven fly changes and longer chunk of 7X and perfect on the on a quarter-sized, accurate cast. I mean, these fish were not moving two inches left or right for that fly, so it had to be right on. Hmm. And and so I think that was one of my most fun days, because I've never liked easy fishing, you know, just mm-hmm. chuck a woolly bugger, catch fish. I mean, yeah. I, I like action. I do. Yeah. I like catching fish, but... I would rather have it be difficult and you really work for them and you use a lot of your experience and you know, every time we fish, we learn something every day. So you you apply all that lifelong knowledge to catch one fish, that's fun, I love it.
0: Yeah. And of all the trips that you've done, what would be like the most recommended place that somebody like me, some, some other person, you would say, you need to go do this before you die. Oh, what, yeah. What, oh, I what, what, love that question. Yeah. Um,
1: well, there's a lot, but <laughs> I think for uh, people who like to camp and experience mm-hmm. some wilderness, uh, mm-hmm. maybe see some wolves and mm. catch a lot of smallmouth bass and pike, mm. the boundary, oh my God. waters, <laughs> canoe area, wilderness, uh, Minnesota, Really? Yeah, do a week-long canoe trip, either with an outfitter or just rent canoes when you get there and Uh and get the portage packs and stuff. But a week in the Boundary Waters, fishing bass and pike, Hmm. is unbelievably cool. Um, Okay. And then I think, you know... Everyone has to go to Alaska, and it's yeah. not that hard. You know, it's yeah, so yeah. easy, you get to Anchorage, you have so many options of either lodges or day trips, mm-hmm. even, even fly-out day trips. There's road fishing, and uh, Alaska is just super special. Um, most people I know have been there, but- You've
0: been uh, there a lot.
1: Yeah, well, I was, a, when I was a rep, I had to go yeah. a couple times a year, and then I'd always fish, and then yeah. I always would just do fishing trips yeah. on my own, and, and my brother and I would do float trips, almost every year for a while and Mm -hmm. uh, the mousing for rainbows Mm. and uh you know big kings big bright kings right out of the ocean and i have did a lot of steelhead fishing in alaska also either by boat in southeast alaska from from juneau south or uh, even saltwater silver salmon fishing and saltwater king salmon fishing we're in a noisy place here. <laughs> that's okay. Everybody that's uh, moving yeah. freight is yeah. coming right by us, maybe <laughs> on purpose, but uh so I would I put the boundary waters there. I would put Alaska there. I would also look for a multi-day float trip for with friends or family and that could be, you know, like the Rogue River in Oregon, 3 or 4 day trip. Mm. three or five day trip on the jesuits mm. uh, middle fork of the salmon in idaho for a week 100 mile float and and, and those multi-day float trips are Pretty just cool. a blast because yeah. it's, it's fishing non-stop and it's also the camp scenario whether you're doing your own cooking or you're with an outfitter the food's going to be outrageous and it's mm-hmm. just a just a blast you can't you know no yeah. cell phones no yeah yeah tick tock it's all just <laughs> fishing and, and friends and family and um can't yeah ha- can't have enough of that
0: i find uh, it uh really interesting that the first place that comes to your mind is minnesota and the boundary waters you know i i'm a small mouth geek i i haven't been to that area to catch pike or anything and that's I'm gonna put that on my list, man. Oh, man you can't that sounds fun. So, wrong. how does that work? You, you get like a canoe. You you have to rent a canoe, and then there's like a trail, water trail that you have to try to find. Yeah, and, it's
1: a very established mm-hmm. uh, and even quite old fishery. Uh, people mm-hmm. have been doing it forever, and there's there's several options. It's all online. You'll find it in in Ely, E L Y, Minnesota. There's, it's the canoe capital of the world, and so there's outfitters. And I would actually recommend just you know go with a group and all chip in and, and do an outfitted trip mm-hmm. uh, they just know the best spots and you're right up on the canadian border and uh and i went i went when the water turned about 65 degrees so it's probably june okay and then you have these lake hexagenia hatches oh and so the bass are going crazy on big dries but just popper fishing in general i don't think we fished many fly subsurface but poppers for pike poppers for smallmouth
0: are the pike pike pretty big too
1: most of the ones we got were I'd say medium probably uh super fun three feet and and you you know you can see the reeds all wiggle in in a line coming over to your fly you know like a big Dahlberg diver or something like that sounds amazing yeah it is and it's and you eat you eat a few pike and you see moose and it's just a really neat experience it's vast it's super huge and so mm-hmm. going with an outfitter well it's probably a little bit safer not that it's a real dangerous trip but literally you can get a little bit lost back there mm-hmm. i think we had 30 portages you wow. know, in seven days something like that so mm-hmm. and some of them were just a matter of feet you know maybe 50 feet a little uh-huh. plunge or waterfall because there's rivers and lakes uh-huh. and they're all interconnected but some of the portages were a quarter mile or more, and you know that's that's kind of grueling. But that is. It, it's also kind of a team effort. So, you, I mean, I don't want to get corny and sound yeah. like it's a big bonding trip, but it is kind of. <laughs> you yeah. Know, because you're all lifting a lot of stuff, carrying yeah. your canoes, and yeah, it's really cool.
0: Okay, one last question, and I'm, uh, a, I'm a Leo. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, uh if you had um yourself you know all the places that you've traveled over the 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 world and you could go to one last place where would that be i mean that's that's a pretty uh one last place man because of the experience the people the fishing and all that kind of stuff well, what do you think?
1: I might have to give you two because okay. one of them would be uh, as a sort of a tribute trip to my family and my grandparents. And mm-hmm. So that would probably be the, the Blackfoot or Bitterroot oh, nice. in Montana, Montana just to reminisce those yeah. early, early days and and how much that's, uh, you know, been my direction, mm-hmm. uh, my foundation. And then, you know what? I For just like total fun trip it might be Golden Dorado in South America okay um, <laughs> really yeah pe- peacock bass or Golden, Golden Dorado are just uh-huh. two of the coolest fish they're cool looking mm-hmm. they're super strong they fight jump mm-hmm. they're nuts mm-hmm. and uh, I think for just grins I would do one of those two species that's okay. and then, then then hang it up
0: <laughs> say, I'd say <laughs> you know,
1: well lived
0: right on well, if people want to uh, check out your photography and your, your socials and stuff like that, where do they go?
1: Okay, I've got a very uh, homemade little photography website. Uh, it's BrianO'KeefePhotography.com, and uh, it's got a few shots on there. It's got yeah. a
0: bunch of beautiful shots, man. Right. I was checking it out. Okay, cool. Yeah.
1: It's primitive, but it's yeah. you know, I, I used to have kind of a nice, big, fancy website, and... Um, I don't know I just went with this little simple one but it, it's it's my sort of my business card yeah and then um it's got contact information on there also and uh I still think people should check out catch magazine to see some oh, yeah. of the work we've done over the past years and then our work stuff with 11 angling is really fun there's fish mm-hmm. from all over the world and all these beautiful pictures and that's 11angling.com and um, yeah that's kind of me in a nutshell
0: Brian, thanks so much, man, for being on my my podcast. What a pleasure. What an honor to have you on, man, and uh, hear about everything that you've done in your life. And uh, I aspire to be you one day, man, when I, mean, I grow up. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, thanks, Guy. This has been yeah. a lot of fun. And yeah. uh, I'll see you more here at the show. I mean, this yeah. thing is massive. It's yeah. got to be four acres of fishing, fishing tackle. <laughs> right. And, and uh, anyway, keep up your good work, too. You're doing thanks, great. Ma'am.
0: And I really appreciate it. All right, talk soon thank you it's a guy jeans podcast